0: Um, I think a lot of people can be good on paper and a lot of people can learn the skills that you need to learn. But I think that getting coaching time under your belt is paramount.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio
0: featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but... Now, here's John and Tex. Hey,
1: Power Nation. Summer is weeks away, and you got to get that body right. Now, whether it's to pack on a little bit of muscle to fill out those pants and fill out that T-shirt, or to lean out and show off those abs by popping off that shirt, we got you covered. Now... The reason we'd like to start busting our ass now is so that we have a little bit of margin of error so that you can cut loose and not feel guilty. So what I want you to do is go check out one of Power Athlete's nutrition protocols. We got a leaning, we got a bulking, we got a keto, and we also have a performance protocol for those of you that need a little bit of extra attention or really trying to dial it in so that you look like a million bucks come summer. To learn more, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash nutrition to find out which protocol is right for you. And... We're going to give you an extra 20% off at checkout with the code Week. 20%? Yeah, that's all caps. E-A-T-T-H-E-W-E-A-K at checkout. Dude, sounds good to me. Now you got your mission. You know what we're expecting. Go get it. See ya. All right, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. I am Tex and I'm joined by Coach Joe Zabal.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Joe is a, a contract strength and conditioning specialist for the Army and the director of sports performance for s- soldiers to sidelines. And we go way back, about 18 years as young sports performance enthusiasts at Marymount University, D3 All-Stars.
0: D3 All-Stars. And that is a long time, Christopher.
1: I know. Pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, every every time uh, we get to hang out, it seems like just yesterday, which technically it was because we were at SummerStrong basically yesterday.
0: Basically, just a few yeah. days ago.
1: How was your experience?
0: Oh, SummerStrong, was awesome. Um, I always love it just because of the great people that it brings together and obviously getting to see you and all of my other strength coach friends from around the country that I don't get to see on a regular basis. And then... Obviously the speakers, the environment, like everybody is just there to kind of, I'm always surprised at how positive, I guess not surprised, but just, you know, it's just so pleasant to see how everyone is so positive and so supportive of each other, um, in different strength feats or in their careers or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really positive weekend. I, I always love it.
1: And this was year two for you, correct?
0: This was my second one. Yep.
1: Yes. And about this time last year, we were sharing some beers over SummerStrong and talking about this new opportunity that you got ahead of you at Fort Bragg. And here we are one year later going through some lessons learned of you transitioned from the, the private sector and working with athletes and on the education side of things and collegiate athletes into the tactical populations. So we got a lot to cover within this first year of experience that you've gained under this new umbrella?
0: Yeah, it's a lot. It's been, it feels like it was just yesterday, summer strong last year when I was kind of announcing to you, Hey dude, I got the job. I'm going, I'm moving to North Carolina from the DC area. And, um, it's gone in the blink of an eye. And it's also, I've learned so much and met so many people and, you know, worked with so many new people and done so many new things. It's, it's amazing. I'm excited about year two.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's dive right into the, the, the lessons learned there. And I mean, you, you had to quickly gain the trust of the soldiers and everyone you're working with. And I mean, taking on new challenges, there's a huge difference between the the sports performance where we can cater towards an athlete. And then there's this expectation that you got to do your job and no matter what with the military. So speak to that. Like, what was this transition from this perspective of performance on the sports side of things now to the tactical side.
0: Yeah. It's a little bit different than you might think. Um, in terms of like the, the performance, you know, I think a lot of, it depends on the college athletes that you're working with. Some of them are like, I just want to play my sport. You know, I don't want to be in the weight room. Some really want to be in the the weight room. That's like a culture from team to team. And you actually see that from team to team or from individual to individual within tactical in my experience anyways. So there are some people that really, really value the performance side of things. Um, and then there are some that are just trying to pass their ACFT and like as much as they need to. And get the minimum or whatever they want to do. Um, but I think that's where we come in as coaches, kind of giving them a little bit more education along those lines and saying, Hey, like, you know, you can crush this thing. You can hit, you know, the ma- you can max this test. And here's how, here's why you're not doing so well right now. Um, and here's how this, not only are you going to pass the test or max the test or do well on the test, But here's why we're training, because for real, why we're really training is to make you better at your job and, you know, performance ready in those tasks that you'll actually have to do, right? So when I'm, you know, telling them like, okay, cool, guys, like I've had this talk so many times recently, actually in the past month or two to try to explain why, okay, the army is very linear, very sagittal right? Everyone wants to run forward, ruck forward, squat forward, lunge forward, all of these things and does nothing in the frontal plane. And yet, you know, when we run and we go into a single stance, we're moving around in the frontal plane quite a bit, or we're anti-rotating, or we're doing a bunch of stuff that is not just sagittal, right? Or not just linear. Mm -hmm. And, um, I talked to, I think this one, it's getting through, this message is starting to get through a little bit because some of them are kind of like, well, we only run the ACFT once or twice a year, right? I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. So yeah, you can prepare for it in the four to six weeks beforehand. That's fine if you're fairly fit. But also if the very first time you change direction is in the ACFT, that's why you get hurt doing the ACFT, Right or the very first time your ankle does a lateral movement is when you're doing land navigation at night and you step on a tree root and it just goes like that. And you've never introduced any type of proprioception in your foot and ankle, and you've never gone lateral with it, then you're not going to be able to, you know, negotiate that sort of force going through your foot, ankle, knee, hip, back, you know, whatever it might be. So, Kind of telling them those two things like, hey, when you're you have a pack on your back and you're doing land navigation at night or when you jump out of a plane or when you do the ACFT or God forbid you have to do sports PT where you go play volleyball or basketball or soccer or something like that for the first time. You just get destroyed. Murder um, ball, yes, yes. Ankles everywhere. Knees wrecked. What is a hip? It's all gone. Right. So they they start to listen when you put it in into practice into what, what they would see on a regular basis. Cause they're like ACFT. Some of them are like, I'm the ACFT. I'm fine. But I'm like, okay, cool. Max it. But like, do you stay healthy? And do you know that even though you did really well, you may have done something, some micro something to your body because you have not introduced the proper load in that plane on a regular basis Um, and when you went all out with your adrenaline going and you cut and changed directions that even though you didn't get an acute injury, you might have done some damage. So giving them those messages and helping them understand their bodies a little bit better um, as it relates to the things that they are required to do is also helpful to just kind of get their buy-in.
1: Do you bring in the formal strength speech of planes of motion or anatomical body parts into the conversation or is it strictly just references and then here's these different exercises
0: yeah so it, it's a mixture of both right you can't just go straight into hey guys we're, we got to get out of the sagittal plane and get on the frontal plane like they're going to be like why i hate you <laughs> so Of course. Like I bring in those examples. I like, I've been using the, like, cause this is real talk. Like this happened. Like a guy came in and was like, Oh, I stepped, stepped in a hole on land nav and broke my ankle. Right. Or I, you know, stepped on a tree root, rolled my ankle or, you know, we were rucking and I just took a weird step or whatever. So just giving them those, like they know when they jump out of a plane, like, Things could go wrong, right? But you're not really expecting it when you're just like walking around with a pack on your back. Right. So um in those situations, they're like, oh yeah, that could happen, or that happened to my buddy, or that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving them those real life examples and also kind of giving them that stark contrast of like, you guys train for a lot of different things all year round. And you do them and you do them over and over again and you do them well and you load your body and you introduce stimulus to your body because you know you're going to need that capacity in your body. Well, if you're not introducing stimulus in the frontal plane, right? And I, I, I don't know if I say frontal plane. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't, depends on the group. Um, but side to side movement, um, then, you know, That first time your body has to negotiate, navigate that, you know, vector of force going through the body, it's going to say, whoa, what's going on? We've never been here before. And it might freak out. It might, it might manage it well, but it might freak out. So let's not take that chance and let's go, hey, in a controlled environment, in a training environment and where I'm telling you, and you know, your sets and reps, or, you know, you know, the command go, and you can react on a go. Um, let's get that load on your body. Then let's introduce that force then. And then maybe your body will be able to manage it when it comes at full speed in real time, um, under load, um, full force, all of that stuff.
1: Yeah. This is a a cool things in August, 2022 at NSCA tactical annual training conference. I'll be presenting uh, with pal Dr. Levi Garrett on this exact thing, where we introduce different planes of motion, foot positions, a little chaos into your normal training session. Uh, And the, the presentation title is How to Coach Your Athletes, Your Tactical Athletes, or Tactical Professionals, they like to be called, How to Coach Your Tactical Professionals, How to Lift Terribly Well. So that's, uh, that's essentially it. Introducing different planes of motion, foot positions, and the awkwardness in the weight room and asking them to navigate either back to a neutral spine or to maintain that hip position as they're moving through some interesting experiences that you can create in keyword controlled environments.
0: Exactly. I'm so excited about that presentation.
1: Well, Um, it's a practical. So I'll be looking for participants.
0: I thought we already said this, Chris. I'm de- I'll, I will participate. I will do it.
1: Yes. And Coach <laughs> Dave Terry has volunteered to be the dead weight. So
0: it's, it's a big dead weight. I
1: know. Dave, I love you, buddy. All right. Love well, you, bud. Let's, uh, I mean, continuing to explore that, do you get the opportunity to work one-on-one with athletes more so than teams? Were you finding more training partners coming together? is it still all one-on-one?
0: Yeah. So we, um, there's a, there's a mixture. So it's a huge mix, which is one of the more difficult parts of my job to navigate. Um, we have some people who are natural training partners. They, they don't even work together on a team or, you know, within the same battalion, but they just, they have not, they have kind of, magnetized to each other because of their particular goals. Like they both lift super heavy. They like the powerlifting kind of thing. And so they're buddies and they lift with each other every morning. Right. And then we've got guys who are on teams who, you know, for better or worse are kind of doing their team time and, and lifting together. Right. And that's what they do. They, they do things as a team. Um, and then we have just these one-off individuals and I've had run the gamut of, you know, uh, postpartum, right? Um I just actually one girl just came back to me today and said, I passed the ACFT. And she came off of like bed rest postpartum for like for a really long time. It's really complicated. Um and then, you know, came in, ran in and hugged me today and, and told me she passed. And then this other girl approached me this week and just came off, you know, just had uh an emergency C section. So um, you know, these are some of the things where you don't even like you're not even thinking that way when you think I'm going to get into tactical, right? And then boom, like you have um you know, an older an older crowd in this unit and and they're all they have families, they're you know, so the women are some of them are having children. Um so these are some of the things that I'm you know dealing with. And then right, like you said, like there's training partners that are just natural training partners. There are teams and then there are individuals and all of these individuals have sort of their own individual goals. Um, but at the same time, like my goals for them are to make them better at doing army, right? Doing the army thing. So um, making sure that they are crushing their ACFT, making sure that they're staying durable. Um, and then the other piece is that we have a lot of transition from our physical therapy clinic. So that could be an, a, a totally additional realm. Right. So it's like, I have these programs already, except for they can't do Mm -hmm. uh, an upper vertical push, but that's the only thing that they can't do, but they can do everything else. So then I have to go through the program and go, okay, take this out, take this out, add this in. Oh, we need more pulling. We need more this. We need more that. So, you know, those I think are the ones that are a little bit more nuanced.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, in the, the world of sport, often that return to play that transition time, it doesn't exist. Once a, a person is cleared, they enter back into full speed practices, games, and then that leads to an assortment of other injuries down the line. Now you have this opportunity to then work within and have a formal return to play practice. How important that is, is that opportunity for the tactical community? Because I know I know some individuals that as soon as they're cleared, they want to go that full speed. But yeah. I mean, coach, you got to intervene here.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I am super, super grateful that um, I work with an amazing sports medicine staff and we, I mean, they will pull us in even almost on an original consult. A lot of the time, if it's not like, you know, something super, super crazy, like a broken leg, like we can't do anything right then and there, but sometimes they, sometimes they will, Um, pull us in on an upper body only core stability only. And then like the people can crutch around from exercise to exercise. Um, But we have such a great collaborative team um, where they will pull us in. And when they're in that sort of transition phase uh, one of our PTs or our ATCs will be like, Hey, can you come watch them squat? Can you come watch them RDL? Can you come watch them, you know, whatever movement they weren't able to do before let I know how I think it looks. This is the PT talking. I want to see how you think it looks and see if we agree on that. And then I'll be like, you know, I'll come look at it and say, well, have you thought about this? And they're like, Oh, that's, you know, that's a great point. And seeing it from both sides at the same time with that patient um, that soldier right in front of us uh, that I think some, some of the most valuable time I've had there is having those, consults where it's like, yeah, I can't quite figure out why this guy is moving in such a way, right? Okay. Oh, do you see that? Cool. Let's try this. And like, there are a bunch of different things where I remember going in and I couldn't remember this guy. He came in um, to the gym more recently and was like, Hey, I remember seeing him when he walked in this time too. Gigantic dude, super. I was like that guy could crush anyone. Like he was just gigantic imposing, like this big old dude. And he walks up to me. He's like, hey Joe. I was like, oh my God, he knows me. I don't know who he is. And he was like, you fixed my squat a couple of months ago. I just want to thank you. I I PR'd the other day. And I was like, I don't, I did nothing. What are you talking about? And um, he's like, I was in the clinic. I was like, okay, I saw you one day. I saw you for 15 minutes one day. And that's like, that's amazing to me already. Like the impact that you can make um, just by caring to like, take a look at somebody's form or technique or something. Um, But He could not figure stuff out. And it was in a moment and I was like, he's not a kinesthetic learner. Hold on a second. And I took my phone out and I videoed him and I showed him and he was like, oh my God, that's what I look like. And we had (laughs) been, we had been cueing him. We had been telling him for a while and he just couldn't get it. And I was like, I don't think he can feel it. And so then I showed him in the video and then we cued him with uh, like a couple other things and he fixed it. Like he had the ability within him. He just didn't neurologically know how to organize his body in order to get the movement. Right. And once he saw it visually, which some people like can only learn that way, right. Or primarily learn that way. Um, he was like, good to go from there. So I was like, what, you know, there, there are simple things that, you know, from your experience as a strength coach and years over here and, you know, whatever that, it's funny that you can contribute that are just little small things that you might not think matter. And then months later you hear that they matter and that's a big deal.
1: Yeah. People hold on to them. Are there any mirrors in your weight room or the clinic? No, no mirrors. Mirrors go a long way. They get a bad Mm -hmm. rap. Do Especially when it comes to curls. You mentioned you learned something with the, the, the postpartum athletes that came in that you didn't expect. What are some other things that you didn't expect to learn or opportunities that presented themselves over the past year? Oh
0: man. Um, I think coming from collegiate and even like, even as a, an instructor at the university level, you tend to be a little bit more because you're dealing with, you know, younger adults, right? They're 18 to 21 ish, um, you tend to be a little bit more like dictatorial, right? Like I am telling you this, this is what's happening. You do this, right? And I am the coach. At this, in with this crowd, right? They're in their late 20s, the mid 30s-ish. Like they're a little bit of an older crowd. And so being more like humbly collaborative with them has gone a long way. Like I can't just go in and tell them and just like, I'm going to teach you this and I'm going to educate you and this is how it's going to go. And I'm not even like that in, in the first place. Like I'm not a very like boom, boom, boom. This is how we're going to do it coach. But even kind of like taking charge um, instead of humbly stepping back and saying, what can I do for you? Like what, what would make your life and your training and your, you know, day to day better Um, and asking them for feedback Um, And saying, you know, what did you think about that last session? And that's a very vulnerable place to be because you just want everybody to like tell you all the sunshine and roses about how much they love you and how much they love your programming or your session or whatever. But when you ask that question, you have to ask it honestly. And you have to be ready for them to be like, that sucked, (laughs) you know, or like, that's not as good as X, Y, Z other workout I've done, or I want to do that over there, right? That's going to happen. Um, and you have to be okay with that because if you want their ear, if if you're trying to get, you know, win hearts and minds, it's not going to happen through a dictatorship, right? It's going to happen through collaboration. And, and like I said, humble, very specifically humble collaboration, Mm -hmm. you have to ask them for the truth. And sometimes that truth stings a little bit, but I would rather, I would rather the ugly truth than a beautiful lie, right? So like, I would rather have somebody just tell it to me so that later I am I can learn from it. And I'm learning fairly quickly that this X, Y, Z does not hurt. I mean, it d- uh, does not work, right? So one of the things like, you just can't put more, more than one corrective or like weird or unsexy exercise in per day. Like they just cannot. Even if you superset them, they cannot. They're like, oh, this program sucks. <laughs> like immediately, they're like, no, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, you need this. And they're like, no, I hate you. I'm like, well, All intent, right. I hate myself. I will intent,
1: change Intent, if they're not, even though it's written and it should work, right. if they're not aiming and focused and intend to uh, hit the pattern or the movement, the expectation of execution, the carryover in which was dreamed up and written into the program will not happen.
0: Correct. Correct. And, and you also need programming in person versus programming um, that they're going to do on their own is very different. So that's also something that I'm learning. Right. So like, I can be like, Hey, we're going to superset that right away. No, 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 get up, no breaks, you know? And then when they do that corrective with their, you know, some complex movement or whatever, they're like, Oh, this is like kicking my butt. Right. But they are not going to do that with the same cadence or the same intention and attention, right. When the coach isn't there. So -hmm. then they're just going to brush that over or they're going to be like, I'm not doing that block. That's obviously the corrective block, not skip. We're skipping that one, going straight to weight vests and conditioning and all the hardcore stuff that we want to do.
1: Yeah. Which is a lot of volume. Yes. Well, that, that that culture of feedback i think it's it's inherent at your level from the individuals at the the level i know you're working with that feedback is important for their success and what's cool and i appreciate i'm sure they develop and give it to you with a little candor so some some hard feedback and uh, a little raz a little elbow uh with it which is always good for some team building just some uh difficult truths delivered with uh, a little little jab.
0: Absolutely. I agree. And, and that's, you know, that's also something that I've had to, I mean, I think I have a fairly thick skin, but um, just, you know, I guess just being open to that and like listening is one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things. And I would even say like, not even just listening there, just listening and watching as you're just in the weight room. Right not even listening and watching when you're actually trying to solicit information, just listening and watching. That's one of the biggest things that I do on a daily basis. And I just, I just catch stuff, you know, and I I used to catch it. You used to catch it in like in collegiate too. You can tell when a kid's not having a good day or some, you know, maybe, you know, didn't do well on a test or something's going on back home and they don't even want to be there. Um, that stuff manifests big time in affect, in people's countenance, like you can see it if you're looking for it. Um, And that's going to affect also like the feedback loop of their training. I don't want you doing crazy, you know, high intensity, super high percentage load stuff on a day where I see your face is like not ready for it for whatever reason, whether that's family, whether that's PTSD, TBI stuff, whether that's just, oh, we had a you know, jump out of a plane last night and I haven't slept yet. Like all of those things are, you know, things that you kind of have to, as a coach, look for in this forum.
1: Yeah. And it, it helps them gain that, that attunement with their own body. There, there is a trap, especially within the the military community. Oh, I didn't do well on this test. I need more volume. I need more training or like, ah, I I slept like shit last night. Or I did, you know, I ate this and that, so then I need to double down on the amount of exercise I'm doing, which then pours into why you're losing sleep or why you're making poor nutrition decisions to begin with. And it's just this, this cyclical trap that people find themselves in. And before they know it, you know, they're, they're injured, they're hurt, or, you know, their blood work shows something that they need drastic behavior change to get out of.
0: Yeah absolutely yeah and i'm you know we're constantly it, it's cool because it's it's coming from all angles like i was even having you know chats with um our dietitian and then our you know physical therapist like we're always all kind of talking and saying like hey you know this is the message that i'm putting across are you putting across the same message and it's most of the time it's yes right it's very very Few and far between. Far between that it's like, oh no, I would never say it. Like, it's it's just it, it's, it's just not how it is, right? So like, we're all kind of saying, hey, oh, you're you're training really aggressively. You need to be recovering really aggressively. This is what that looks like. Sleep, right? Oh, you want to? You, you think you need? You know this and that and all this other like really cool stuff. Let's pick the low hanging fruit first let's do this. Let's do this. Why don't you talk to our performance dietitian? Why don't you get a little bit, um, you know, uh, some, you know, maybe a little bit of a strategy from, um, sports med for pain management, that kind of thing. So we're always all trying to work together to sort of solve these problems. And we talk to each other about it to make sure that we are sending the same message and that it's collaborative even among our teams, So that when we send it out to the soldiers, They're all getting the same, you know, unified message.
1: Well, incredibly important. I mean, even at the college level, that will kill a strength coach because shit rolls downhill. And if the athletic trainers are not on the same page with the strength coach and then the head coach, like somebody's going to lose their job and it's usually the wrong person. Um, I want to stick with the, the tactical community. I'm, I'm bringing in college into it a little bit, but the, I was speaking with the NSCA Tactical Director at Summer Strong, Jason, and he was saying just some projections for the field of tactical strength and conditioning will soon outnumber the college positions that are available. So ever-growing field in a very young industry is the tactical branch. So you're in this essentially on the grassroots of this whole thing. Like how beneficial is taking sports – and bringing in into your tactical experience, is that necessary? Or can a young coach just hit the ground running right into tactical with, you know, minimal coaching experience?
0: Oh, man, that's a that's a doozy. Um, that's a loaded question. So a lot of things, a couple things. Um yes, tactical is in its infancy, I guess you could say, but like, I am by no means like, you know, anywhere close to being the first boots on the ground guys have been doing this for 10, 15 years, um, at a very organized level. And then, you know, way farther back before that, obviously. Um, but, um, so I'm, you know, standing on their shoulders right now. Um, so credit to them. Um, and, you know, Right now, H2F is pulling in a lot of really young coaches, right? And I would say to pull in, yeah, you can pull in, um, you know, somebody from college that's been doing stuff with, uh, sport, like field court sport athletes, or you can pull people in from regular sport, right. As a, not even as a strength and conditioning coach, but now who has the proper certification and all those things, um, Or, you know, your everyday, like, person who really has just gotten into the, you know, exercise science and is really enjoying it and all of those things. Um, I think what matters, this is my personal opinion, um, I think a lot of people can be good on paper and a lot of people can learn the skills that you need to learn for programming, for, um, like, I need to understand what conditioning looks like. I need to understand these different, different types of methods of, you know, strength training and all of those things. But I think that getting coaching time under your belt is paramount, right? I've been coaching for 20 years, like 20 years, what? Because um, I started when I was 17, I was coaching an under 17 team because I was in college already. And I was coaching an under 17 volleyball team, you know, all the way through college, Um, and then I became a strength coach and then I was as an assistant volleyball coach for 11 years. Right. So since 2002, I've been coaching. And so I think that helps me to just be able to say, yeah, I can go coach anybody because I know how to talk to people. And obviously, oh my God, I'm still learning like every step of the way I'm still learning. But at the same time, that is what has made this transition. So, um, I would say even seamless. Besides like all the, like the army talk, like I still don't know all that stuff. And I'm always like, slow down. You used 17 acronyms. I That's need help. A lot
1: of acronyms.
0: It's just all the, I'm like, you just said a whole paragraph of acronyms. I don't know if you said any other words besides articles and acronyms. And so sometimes I just laugh at people, like laugh in people's face when they talk to me like that. Cause I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Um, but anyways, that's a different part of the culture learning curve. Right. But, but just even that, even me being able to say, Hey, Hey dude, slow down, bro. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and then being able to, Oh, my bad. And then they go, Oh, it's, it's this and kind of explain, you know, what the culture is or what, what they're talking about. And sometimes they're really excited to, to, to teach somebody, you know, about like whatever the army way of doing X, Y, Z. So that's kind of a cool moment, you know, that you can share with people too, but Um, back to your original question. I think, I think getting coaching hours under your belt and just getting like people hours, like having, knowing how to talk to humans and knowing how to convey and teach. And you and I talked about this last time, like what circumstances have you taught under, right? Have you taught seven-year-olds? Like I've coached seven-year-olds. I've coached, you know, high schoolers, middle schoolers, D3 athletes, D1 athletes, professional athletes, tactical athletes, and everything, all the little, you know, things in between, amateur, elite, uh, adult, you know, stay at home, mom, like whatever it is, do you know how to talk to all of those different people, right? And do you know how to care for people? Like, again, they're not going to, they would follow you anywhere if they know you care about them. And if you remember their kid's name or if you remember, you know, whatever it is um, show interest in them more than just like, Hey, you're my job and I have to get this done.
1: Yeah. Forget about it. The, well, soldiers to sidelines offers performance training. So what are some success stories of individuals that have been through that program? And well, it's, First, give our listeners just a brief one-liner on Soldiers to Sidelines, and then speak to the the sports performance aspect that you all provide and opportunities that uh, former soldiers can take advantage of.
0: Yeah. So um, like Tex said earlier, I'm the um, sports performance director for Soldiers to Sidelines, which is a veteran nonprofit service organization that empowers veterans and actually also now um, current service members and military spouses, thanks to the Wounded Warrior Project, um, to take our seminars for free and become certified coaches, whether that's in football, basketball, lacrosse, or sports performance. Um, and what that certification is, is basically just our stamp of approval that says, hey, you've done our curriculum and you are showing you know the initiative to take these courses, which are like almost week-long courses. It's a ton of work. It's a ton of hours. It's homework, but it's also fantastic opportunity, speakers, um, some of the best in in the biz uh, and all of those realms. Um, And then opportunity to then network and um, continue on your education and possibly get placed in a job, uh, depending on, you know, your, your goals, um, your abilities, and all of those things. Uh, We recently had somebody, um, get the strength and conditioning inter- internship at, I think it's an internship or a GA ship. I can't remember at UCLA. Um, there's, uh, I don't know if this one's out yet, but we've had guys get to, um, you know, football, uh, uh assistant football coaches at, uh, D one universities. I, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about some of those yet, but, yeah. um, Yeah. So sorry, Harrison. No, it's fine. No, no, no. I just didn't say the specific school or anything. But um yeah, I mean, such great stories. And then, you know, even some of the other stories where they're just coming to us and saying, Hey, this saved my life. Like I was not, I was not feeling like I was part of anything anymore post-military life. And it's not just soldiers, right? So it's it's all branches. Um, we're fully joint. We have, you know, Coast Guard, army. Um, Air Force, Marines, Navy, everything, um, Space Force. Um, so making sure that you know there is some connection and purpose post-military life and getting that a smoother transition. And we also partner with John Deere, um, partner with other companies that are placing veterans so that um, they can get a full-time job and then also be able to coach on the side. So, mm-hmm. kind of giving back in, in many ways and being connected to a, a team environment, a community environment again, and, and putting back into their community um, and using all of those sort of intangibles that they learned for leadership and collaboration and teamwork in the military and putting those and showing them how they can use that in coaching.
1: Awesome. Well, amazing opportunity. Well, we had Harrison Bernstein on Power Athlete Radio to deep dive, and he charge he charges me up. He's a coach. He's awesome. Uh, he brings
0: the juice every single time. Every like, time. Every single time. I don't know how, because that man wakes up at like 5 a.m., and like his feet are already running, legitimately running. Like he'll go out and run for an hour and be on phone calls and like... And then he's like, yeah, I don't even have my coffee yet. And I'm in my first meeting and, you know, he, he cares. Like you have to care to have that amount of energy, right? Because if you don't care something about something, you can get tired really quickly. Um, But that man cares. And he definitely just charges ahead and gets you fired up, whatever it is.
1: Yes. Well, the uh, speaking of getting charged up, we had a fun conversation a number of years ago with Jim Davis at one of the NSCA events. And I have to, I have to pull this into this podcast because I mean, talk about lessons learned that I learned from you, friend, mentor, coach. So you have these life lessons that you've acquired from your years and I want to to share them with Power Athlete Nation. So some of these I'm familiar with, some are going to be a surprise and catching up, but um, let's, let's start with it. And this, maybe you've learned them in the last year, but maybe you've learned them a lifetime ago. I don't know. So help us with Coach Joe's life lessons.
0: Yeah. All right. right. Let's get to them. So I remember, I remember, so the background of this is one of my mentors, Harrison has, has always had, since I've known him, I've known him over a decade, um, a mission statement or a coaching philosophy, right. And he very much encouraged me to write my own coaching philosophy And that's evolved over the years. Um, but it, then it starts to like pour into like, have you written down your values? Have you written down what's important to you? If you don't, do you know what to reference back to? Do you know if your life is pointing in the right direction? And you and I started talking about it. That was coaches 2020, like right before pandemic. Right. So it was like January, 2020. Right. And, um, yeah, we sat down over some chips and salsa and some margs with Jim Davis and Alex and, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, these are my life lessons. So here we go. Uh, number one is. Are these in order
1: of importance?
0: Yes. A so little this bit.
1: this is the number one or are we going up the list?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is this is the number the one. Rule. This is the number one, but it's also not. So what? Listen, okay. I just did the mind blow thing for those of you who are only listening. Um, number one is I don't know yet. So this is sort of this like open spot, right? So it like, it can be, it can be filled in at any time because, right. So Chris, I've probably mentioned this multiple times or reference this, reference this multiple times. One of my favorite books is called being wrong by Katherine Schultz. And Ooh. she talks about.
1: I just pet- purchased this. So you did Mike, it. yeah, Mike Hill coach, Mike Hill and I are going to do a Hills book club podcast on this exact one.
0: Shut your mouth. Coincidentally, I have we did eyes. not
1: talk about this at SummerShop.
0: Hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes. I love it. Okay, so I love this book. Um, but they talk about this concept of the pessimistic meta-induction from the history of everything, which means what? that what we can induce or deduce or whatever from the the history of everything pessimistically is that we have been wrong before we will be wrong again. Right. So like what of your beliefs from like when you were seven are still true. Right. What of your beliefs from when you were 15 are still true from when you were from when last year. Right. Think about yourself 10 years ago. Like what were your values? What was true to you? What was, you know, the most important thing. Right. And so, yeah, correct. Right. So like what right like what am i what is real what is not real what do i believe now what do i you know i was wrong right and that's kind of what the book is about right you know not to ruin it for you but it's very hard we're very hardwired as humans to uh resist being wrong and it feels very bad to be wrong and we hate it um but it talks about you know sort of embracing that and understanding that hey we're going to be wrong so let's just accept that and move forward from it learn from it um and be kind of open and, and vulnerable to, to change our minds about some things. And that's so called kind of one, also that. yeah. You're rule wrong. one is like, I don't know yet. It could change. It's open. It's an open slot. Somebody introduce a new concept to me and I might put it in there. We'll see. Um, number two. So this is actually one of my most important ones um, that I know so far that I know that I know. Um, And that is be honest with yourself and others. Um, This comes from one of my like childhood friends. We've had a lot of talks about this. Glenn shouts to you. Um, We've been friends over 20 years. Um, I think a lot of issues come from us not being honest with ourselves, whether that's ego, grandstanding. And that happens a lot in this industry. We're telling ourselves that we want something. We're convincing ourselves of something And we are not being truly honest because sometimes the honest truth isn't very pretty or it isn't easy or it isn't what everybody else thinks we should be doing, right? And so when we aren't honest with ourselves, a lot of bad stuff happens, right? Then we cannot be honest with other people. Um, We do things that we don't want to do and that are against something inside of us. And our insides are railing against it. And sometimes that manifests physically, sometimes that manifests in an outburst at someone else so that it manifests like in our community, right? It manifests in all different ways when we're not honest with ourselves. And so be honest. being honest with ourselves first is one of my, I mean, this has been top, top for a really long time. And I, you know, I struggle and fight to get to this every day, just being my authentic self, right? Right. And, and the, the beauty of that is that there is only one me, there is only one you, and there is only something that you have, like that I have, that I can offer the world. And I am leveled by that responsibility daily. Like I think about that because there's something in me that nobody else can offer, no one, right? And I have a responsibility to offer it to the world. And so Me being authentically me is going to be the best thing for everybody. And you being authentically you is going to be the best thing for everybody. Um, And so I think when we're not honest with ourselves and we're not honest with others, bad things happen. And I think excuses are also a form of dishonesty. So when we're starting to say like, well, uh, you know, uh," we're, we're not being honest with ourselves. So starting to take accountability, take responsibility for the things that we have done being truly honest with ourselves is when magic starts to happen.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, working with athletes, you see it every day. You just want to give them one fix, one direction. And then they come back with, no, I, no, I didn't do that. And they're, they're arguing against it. And it's almost like, Hey, my friend, we are on the same team here. I'm just giving you one observation that I saw, but then that same high schooler mentality that they have against, you know, the cues direction for whether it's sport or in the weight room, we, as grownups, we're still doing it all the time. And for, for bigger issues, challenges, uh, opportunities that we face as adults. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. And you know, I encourage people to not be afraid to then say, you know what, it, Double back, especially if we're in good company and and friends to say, you know what? I wasn't honest right there. This is the, this is how I actually saw it or my experience or my feelings. And, you know, just continually to not be authentic to the people you're working with or friends, it's holding back their performance as much as would be your athletes. If you did not tell them, uh, what they needed to correct. And this is from Greg Walsh's presentation at sore next summer strong. 15, every rep will cost you. That was a powerful statement that he said, meaning if you as a coach see something and don't say something in terms of cue and correction, eventually it's going to become a poor habit pattern for the athlete and catch up to them for an injury or, you know, a behavior. If you're not calling yourself out for something or being honest with yourself about something, then that one little lie, dishonesty, you know, or poor action starts to grow and grow and grow and i can see why this is so important
0: yeah like even even what you just said like think about working out by yourself versus working out with other people or working out for the gram right like how do those reps differ right are you being honest with yourself and i love that you said like even calling back and being like hey wait a minute i wasn't fully honest right there let me let me let me rectify that right away how impressive is that when somebody else does that in your presence? I'm impressed by that. That's difficult, vulnerable work. Um, and I'm never like, oh, he lied, right? <laughs> if you, if the person, in fact, rectifies it right away, that's impressive.
1: What do we got next?
0: We got number three. Um, no one's coming to save you, princess. So it, this is really just about making sure you are building the life that you want if it's just you. Now, I am all about community. I have a fantastic community that has rallied around me in so many so many instances in my life and I cannot do this alone, right? I have not done anything alone. I am not where I am without a million other people. Um, but making sure that the choices that you're making and all of that are based on like your greatest Self and your values and all of that stuff, right? Whether that's financially, geographically, your community, your job, all of those things, making sure um that you're doing that. And and I think that kind of when you're that's again, it's it's about authenticity. And you're starting to bring these people around you and they they want to be around you because you're you're building this great life, right, for yourself. Um, and then people people are drawn to that. Right. So, um, like I said, like I, I am currently very finally starting to, in the past couple of years, starting to build this life for myself rather than for like what I think other people think is cool or what I think other people might, you know, you know, another, a significant other might, you know, want or a friend group might want or whatever it is. Um, I'm building my life for me because no one's coming to save me. Right. So, um, and again, like I said, like community is everything. I'm not saying build your life so you can just be a one person, right? No, you build your life in this way that makes you come alive. And then that makes everything around you come alive, your community, your job, the people that you serve, the people that you work with. Um, and I think that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, I, I know I recommended that you, you know, move into uh Southern Pines and away from Fayette as far as you can get. And then you were like, No, no one's coming to save me. I'm moving to Fayetteville proper.
0: Correct. Correct. Cause no one's come coming to save me with that million dollar check. So I'm saving my money and living in Fayetteville. And this yeah. beautiful condo, it's beautiful. Shouts to yeah. Keith. You to real would- MVP.
1: Yeah, go and Chris's Steakhouse, Fayetteville. Um,
0: we'll go to Chris's Steakhouse when you come and visit me.
1: Well, you're in Fayetteville. I'm sorry. Next time, I'll go uh, Southern Pines with uh, Coach Flaherty, and we'll uh, we'll aim to connect. Okay. Next
0: number four: uh, minor on the minors, major on the majors. Um, it's one of my biggest pet. Yeah, this peeves. is a great
1: one. I remember this one.
0: Oh man. It's one of my biggest pet peeves to have anyone micromanage or, you know, make something huge out of nothing, right? Because we have so much to worry about. We have so much real stuff to worry about, right? We have so many things that are heavy in this world. We have so many things that are um, actually important and weighty. And then there are dumb little stupid things that we choose to worry about and we choose to be anxious about. And those are minor things. Right. And like, we think about our problems in such a way because they're so close to us. I put this, I had said this before on one of my Instagram posts, but um, I had a, this blue collar sage. I called him at my old job. He was the building manager. He was phenomenal. And he would just come sit in my office sometimes. And we would just chat and we would have these like life lessons. And, you know, I think I was complaining to him about something or other. And he goes, Hey, Joe, you ever heard the story about um everybody putting their problems in a paper bag? I was like, "No, John, what is the story?" Because <laughs> I'm, you know, pissed about whatever I was my problem was at the time. And he's like, "Okay, so everybody puts their problems in a paper bag. And we all go outside. Everybody's outside. And we throw these paper bags up in the air. And whatever you catch is now your problem." Do you know how much everyone would be scrambling to catch their own bag again. And I just sat with that for a while. I was like, Oh man. Right. Because what if you catch the cancer bag? What if you catch the, my, you know, my kid just died bag. What if you catch the, I have one leg now bag, right? Like you don't, you, we don't think about it in those terms. Right. But when, when we put it in that sense and we think, man, if like I can walk away from from anything right now in my life and kind of be unscathed, like I'm doing okay, right? like i'm I'm this is not really that big of a problem. The thing is that we make problems. So minor on the minors, major on the majors, and don't waste your time thinking about all the little stuff,
1: yeah, cleaning supplies, like little things like that., uh, what else we got?
0: <laughs> Number five. Your lack of planning does not constitute my emergency. Um, this one is a big one that I've been dealing with. Um, I mean, the army wants to go full speed ahead at some things and you're just like, whoa, there was no planning on this. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's been in every job in my life, right? Somebody forgets to do something or somebody wants something done right now because their boss is telling them, they want it done right now. And then they bring it to me and they say, this is your problem. You need to do it right now. And I'm like, no, that's not on my calendar actually. Right. So your lack of planning does not constitute my emergency. This also takes the guilt out of saying no, like actually, you know, sure. I can do that, but not at this time or no, thank you. Like that is not in my wheelhouse or that's not part of my responsibility. I'm not going to do that. Now, this is, this is not like me saying, don't be helpful. Don't lend a hand when someone is in a real bind, but there are some people who are demanding and entitled in telling you that they need something immediately when really the the lack of planning was on them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then on the other side of this, so if you're the, the, the person who didn't plan and I've been that person, right. Um, this is also about setting expectations for things that are outside of our control. So like I need to get this thing done, but guess what? I need this other person to get this thing done and I can't force them to do it. It's outside of my control. So I need to set that proper expectation and go, all right, I need this other person. I planned poorly. I need to give them time to do this and I need to be gracious in asking them to get it done, right? And I need to also be aware of my expectations. I just started reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown fantastic. She starts off talking about stealth expectations and how we don't always know what the expectations we have are, but we have them. So like, say you're going on a vacation with your family or something like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be wonderful. Like I'm going to wake up every morning really late and drink my coffee and it's going to be quiet. And then I'm going to read my book and I'm going to journal and do all these things. Like those are your expectations. And whether you're saying them consciously or subconsciously, like we have those things, and when they don't happen right we can react in negative ways to those things whether we know it or not and whether we knew we had that expectation or not so going into even like even something like this past weekend that we were at Chris like going into Summerstrong and going what are my expectations of this and what of those things are actually in my control right my expectation of myself was to take pen and paper notes that's 100% in my control right but whether or not I'm going to get like this, I'm going to get all these wonderful nuggets out of every single speech and what that's not in my control. Right. So having that expectation and having like something attached to it is a little bit dangerous. So just kind of like naming that is also part of this expectation management and planning so that we're not making our lack of planning someone else's emergency.
1: Yeah. If you're working on a team especially this becomes uh incredibly important uh i know i'm guilty our creative director harry heppenstall the amazing mind uh between all these logos brands just saying hey i need this and not giving him the proper runway or timeline and then him giving me giving me the timeline which will take to get it done it's like man i am uh, i just embarrassed myself i did not Uh, take into consideration your calendar and other projects. And for that, I apologize. So now, uh, helped with my communication by running into that brick wall that is the creative, Mr. Heptonstall. So I appreciate that. Uh, One, you know, holding the the mirror up on my mistake there for making uh, some mistakes within my team and not respecting their schedules.
0: And also... Chris, you just practiced the art of being wrong and saying oh, it. Oh, I know. Well, every that. time
1: I talk to Harry, I get reps of being wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good to have those people in your life.
1: <laughs> yes, you're right. Yes. It is. Cheers. Uh, Cheers what to else? those
0: people. Number six.
1: Number six.
0: Is GSD. Get, GSD. get stuff done. You right? can curse. So... Yes it's just about doing right so have a goal always be moving towards something um we are teleological beings meaning we are moving towards we're always moving towards purpose and design like we are trying to almost um define and purpose our lives right so we are always we should be moving towards something right and when we're not we start to like i don't want to say we die a little but we can get depressed we can get you know a little womp womp. and um so setting goals setting um setting your sights on the next thing um while also being present but doing 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 um i think that i'm a very i'm very much a doer uh, i've been talking to my friends a lot about this lately i like cannot sit in anything um which is something i need to work on but like getting out and actioning things Right. Whether that is just taking a step in the right direction one day um, or sprinting towards something. Um, I think just do, just go and do.
1: Do do. It's a good rule. You said what do, else?
0: do. All <laughs> right. Last one. This is a new one. This is a newer one. Um yeah. this one has been in the works for me for, you know, over a year. There's like there's been a lot of things that have happened along these lines, actually in the past like three or four years um, but it, this one is feel the ends. So by the ends, I mean, feel the ends of the spectrum, feel the good and feel the bad. Um, I think a lot of times we really like to feel the good and we sit there and we're like, yeah, it's the good. I'm here. I love it. I'm, I'm living it. Um, but when the bad comes around, we brush it under the rug, we ignore it. We wish it away. We drink it away. We exercise it away. We go lift heavy weights. We rage. We listen to the sad music or the raging music or the whatever. And we don't just sit with it. And I think sometimes we need to sit with it and feel it, um, feel it. So we don't return to it, feel it. So we learn from it, feel it. So we can ask it questions. What are you trying to teach me? Why are you here? Um, what are you here to teach me? Bad thing that happened. um, bad thing that happened to me, bad thing that I did, whatever it is. Um, and let both ends teach you without hardening you. And this was something that actually, you know, we're talking about summer strong a lot. Uh, Brandon Lilly's talk was one of my favorite talks. Um, and he, I don't think he said it like this, but this is what I ended up taking down in my notes. Um, I will not lie because I have been lied to. I will not be unloving because someone has been unloving to me. I will not be unkind because someone has been unkind to me. And so being able to feel the bad fully and like understand that it's bad and it's not where I want to be, but also going, I I don't accept that. And I'm I'm not going to take it onto myself. I'm still going to be on this good end and know that that good end will come back around to me. um, That was a big one for me from this weekend. Wow. The,
1: that's a great one. Uh, I've been sitting with this, the challenge. I'm a uh, internal or eternal optimist. So always aiming to look forward and positive. And so been basically uh, called out for that recently. In that the, there is, I mean, called out that there was no benefit towards it and that it was essentially holding back from, you know, growth or like actually, you know, learning lessons, just focusing on the, the good. So whatever, you know, wherever that came from, you know, just coach being a coach and always focusing on the next play or the next opportunity. Yeah, I was called out for that for not sitting in the, the negative space or the, the fray, the fringe, the, uh, the ends and asking the right questions. So that eternal optimism just, yeah, essentially called out for my, uh, bullshit within that and not, I don't know, embracing the negative side of things and asking the right questions. So that's <laughs> timely for me as well. Feel the ends.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great friend or friends that you have that will call you out on that stuff, because I know a lot of people that literally just numb themselves in whatever capacity to the thing that has just happened. Right. And so, you know, that could be this painful thing and, oh, it sucks to be there. It sucks. Um, But we need to remember that it sucks so we don't repeat these patterns we also need to understand why it sucks and what we can learn from that because we like we can help others we can impart this wisdom onto others we're coaches right like somebody's going to go through that or somebody is going to learn from what we've learned and what a better what better way than to go through something right than to go through the suck and to to come out resilient, but to understand why. Right. And not just go like, yeah, whatever. Like I drank until I forgot about it. And then this other new fun thing came. So it was fun. Like, it was fine. I never felt it. And then you just stay in that cycle. Right. Um, But yeah, truly sitting in it and truly just feeling the ache and the pain and whatever, whatever negative emotion, wherever you are, you know, just sitting in that and going, what are you? what do you want of me? Like, what are you teaching me? What are you telling me? Um, and like journaling those things, you know, whatever, but with a sound sober mind, just sitting there and going, what is this? Um, and even, you know, having talking with a trusted friend about those things, I think it's, it's invaluable.
1: Yeah. Not just sit with it, ask it questions. I think is a good note that you mentioned because and as an Irish Catholic I sit with a lot and just weight <laughs> of the world on my shoulders over here uh, yeah lots of brown paper bags I need to fill things up and then yeah burn them or throw them in the air or ask them questions it's good it's a good new one
0: I like the new one it's it's relevant for me too Chris I think a lot of us went into Summer Strong this weekend with some, with some stuff and it was just great I will say again like just to be around community and sit with people and just, you know, be, you know, around around that kind of energy. I think that's helpful. So
1: I'm leaving me speechless. And we'll leave it there. Power Athlete Nation, Coach Joe, where should they go to follow you and learn more from your wisdom and experiences?
0: Oh my God, my wisdom. You can go to Co- at coach underscore joe underscore no e just J O underscore on instagram um and also follow follow us at soldiers to sidelines as well
1: and at strength coach hair
0: i don't i never post on there i really i'm the well, mo- a, i'm the worst a shame i'm the worst i have so many videos i'm gonna start oh you heard it here first first I folks
1: know. i've given you so much content with the pictures we've taken over the I- years accountability
0: accountability i need to yep be honest with yourself joe you're not going to do it
1: <laughs> well i don't know that rule one <laughs> power athlete nation thank you again be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a review preferably five stars on whatever it is you're following and uh yeah training programs power hq.com slash training for any training goals you might have up What else? I do got to shamelessly plug. We are looking for interns. What does that mean? We will not ask you to coach. If you want a coaching internship, take a coaching internship. If you want to learn the understanding and the value of a brand in the private sector of the fitness training space, there is no better place than Power Athlete. As I mentioned, brand director Harry, he will teach you the hard way some life lessons to carry into your next endeavor And if you want to learn how to connect with folks, we got all these people over here through the the Power Athlete Network and uh, myself, certainly take you around Austin to to the who's who in the world of sports performance in this town and start to build your network and understanding what it means to build a brand in the world of strength and conditioning. All righty.